Amen. It's my favorite song, just in case anybody knew. I think if you've been here long enough, no. So when they sing it this morning, I was like, great song selection. I can preach after that. Uh, as we, uh, Pastor Scott said, we're in emergency mode. That's how you know I'm standing up here. And the, uh, we called out the reserves. But no, I'm glad to uh, be. As we get ready for Thanksgiving and things, I was trying to figure out what to preach. I was telling the teenagers uh, randomly before I even knew I was supposed to be preaching. Tuesday night, I had a dream that I was uh, in the service and I had to preach. And I, I did, had no clue what I was supposed to preach. And like, it was like a nightmare because in my dream, like, uh, we were getting closer and closer to time to preach. And I'm standing over there in my little chair and I had no clue what to preach. And so as like the special music is done and I walked up to the pulpit and then I woke up and then I got a text from pastor. No, I'm, just <laughs> I'm just kidding. So, so I think the Lord's laid something on our hearts and a direction for us to go this morning. But, uh, we're glad to be in the pulpit this morning. But even after we just walked through Bible conference and everything else, I'm like, what do you preach after Bible conference on the Holy Spirit? I think Dr. Van Geldren uh, has given you guys more knowledge in one night than I had like, in my whole ministry career. So as we walk through, but I think today I just want to be an encouragement to us, uh, I guess, as we look towards uh, Thanksgiving and some things like that. Just looking in God's word, uh, being encouraged. I guess we just look at um, what Thanksgiving is as we get prepared for it and how we unlock it biblically, I guess, where the Bible would show us how to be actually thankful. There's a lot of things we can look at life and just say, well, I'm thankful because we're Americans, we have all these great things, and like we can just, I guess, on paper say I'm thankful, but I, I've learned, uh, I guess as I get older, what we believe affects how we behave, and so as we actually look at it from the scripture, what it's like to be biblically thankful, I thought it would help us this morning. So we're going to walk through Psalm chapter 100, and as Pastor said, we'll get ready for Thanksgiving. Uh, as he was mentioning in his announcement, though, that he's like the... Um, Prayer and praise service is like the intimate time, and like people have come to enjoy it. He let he didn't uh, lead off with why we enjoy it. We enjoy it because there's 26 pies here. That is why it's become one of the most popular things. I mean, I'm glad the piano's in the middle, but you can put the piano in the middle without pie, and I don't think it has that same effect. So uh, as we start looking at the prayer and praise service, like uh, I will be here. I've missed it the last two, so we made sure in our schedule we were here for this one. And so as we look toward Thanksgiving, I don't know about you guys, but does anybody have like have you already planned in your uh, eating budget for Thanksgiving as you look through November? You've already like planned. Like, this is what I'm going to eat. I'm trying to, <laughs> yes, some of you, I'm not going to call names who are shaking their heads. But, but I'm with you guys. We've already planned it in the budget. Like, this is what Thanksgiving is going to look like. So as we get ready, prepared, there are some people are doing their, like, thankful things on, things, uh, on Facebook or whatever. It's like every day they post some of their Thanksgiving. So as we look forward to it in November, I thought it would be a great time for us to look at Psalm 100. Familiar Psalm. I think we know it. Uh, and if we've been in church for a long time, you've probably heard it before. But if you're not and you're new to the church, hey, we're glad you're here. And we're just going to walk through this. I don't think it's going to be exceptionally deep, but we are going to deal with the attributes of God. And in Psalm 100, we find pretty much attributes of God that kind of shift the way we live. They kind of actually uh, show us how we ought to behave in the light of God's attributes. So as we go and we jump into it, here's the way I want to do it. I told my wife last night, I was giving her thoughts on what I was preaching to make sure they made sense to somebody other than in my head. And so as I'm explaining these things to my wife, I said, I think I want to do it the way, like in, I guess in a lot of modern TV shows, like they like to jump right into like the action and like the heroes like hanging or dangling somewhere or like about to be blown up or something. And then all of a sudden they're like, and they have like three hours earlier. And then they run back there. So this is the way I wanted to start this message because I think that it would help us in Psalm chapter 100 to jump to verse number five first and explain what walk through verse number five, and then because we've walked through verse number five and we understand what's going on, then all of a sudden 
verses one through four becomes so much clearer. And so um, as we jump in, because when we know Psalms 100 is the verse that most often we hear people who can't sing, and that's their excuse, well, make a joyful noise, well, please make a joyful noise. But in this, all this excitement in Psalm chapter 100, you'll really miss it if you miss what's going on in verse number five. And so I remember growing up, and I think I've told you guys this here before, but our teenagers would know, there was a couple of guys in our church who a couple of times, every now and then, I get accused of getting excited while we're singing in the choir and whatnot. But I'm just saying, you didn't know the guys that I grew up with. Like, I'm nothing compared to the guys that I grew up with. And uh, I remember being an usher as a teenager, and we had a number of guys who would, like, the choir would sing a song or something, and we're all standing in the back doing our usher duties. And, like, a couple of them, like, one guy in particular, Brother Gatlin, who's, like, one of my mentors, he's, like, pretty much everything but running back and forth in the back of the auditorium that people can't see. And he's excited as anything. And I remember one time he hits me on the shoulder and he's like, hey, Aaron, this is great, isn't it? And it's like, I've heard this choir song like 1.3 million times. <laughs> like, I know it by heart and I'm not even in the choir. And as we're standing back there, but I saw in him an excitement that I had not experienced because I had not yet developed the belief in God that he had. And as we walk through Psalm chapter 100, I think if we jump into verse number one and we see make a joyful noise and we see all the excitement and the exaltation going on in verse number one, we'd be like me as a teenager standing there being like, oh yeah, that's really good, but uh, I'm glad you're excited. You, you do your thing, and I'm just going to stand over in the back and wait till they take the offering. And if we go to verse number five, we develop the excitement that brings all these things into play in Psalm 100, verse 1 through 4. So let's read it, and then we'll pray, and then we'll jump into it. Psalm 100 goes like this. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he that hath made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. For the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting and his truth endures to all generations. Let's pray and ask God for his help and then we'll walk through this passage. Lord, we love you. We need your help today. Lord, as we come, Lord, I believe all of us have come to hear from you. And, Lord, that only happens, Lord, if your Holy Spirit works through your word in our hearts. So, God, I pray that our hearts would be open to receive something. And then, God, I humbly ask, Lord, that you would give me a passion for you right now. And, Lord, that I would humbly submit, Lord, to whatever you'd have me to say, whatever you'd have me to preach from your word. And, Lord, that if all these things come together, and, Lord, you bless us, Lord, we'll, we'll grow and we'll become, we'll do exactly, your word will do exactly what you've promised to do. So please be with us this morning. Be with our pastor, Lord, as he's not well. Lord, I pray that you touch his body and bring him back to us in a short period of time. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. So as we go to Psalm 100, I told you we're going to jump to verse number 5. And we're just going to look at these three things in verse number 5 that will set the stage for everything else in Psalm 100. For the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, and his truth endures to all generation. Now I told you, I'm not like... I'm the youth pastor, so I'm not going all that deep. We're just going through verse number five. And as we start looking at it, we, we go through three, I guess you could say phrases, three things that all throughout history we've struggled with. Like as we look at what God is good, that God is merciful, and that his truth endures generations, like we kind of take them for granted. But this is what our culture longs for and seeks after. But we have it hidden in verse number five of Psalm chapter 100. So let's look at it. For the Lord is good. Now, we, we know this because like there's even the saying, I don't think people who are not even saved don't even know Christ. It's like, God is good all the time. And people just say this. So I know that we know this on paper, but as we look at it, this pretty much sets the stage for everything in Psalm 100. For God is good. You know, since the beginning of time, the devil 
has been trying to get us to believe that God is not good. Like today, critics and skeptics will make it sound like this is some new phrase that they just thought of. Well, if God is good, then why do? It is nothing new. Satan did it in Genesis chapter number three a long time ago. And when everything was perfect, Adam and Eve are skipping through the, uh, skipping through a garden, not clothed as we would be, and looking at all the things that God had blessed them with. Satan comes in the midst of this perfect world and says, God's holding out on you. If, if you really knew what God, if what God was holding out on you, that you would know the knowledge of good and evil. Well, just stop. I don't really want to tell you this, but if you eat the fruit, God knows you'll be like God. And ever since the beginning, Satan has pushed this thing that God is not good. Our culture pushes it. But see, when we come to, before we can get to all the celebration in Psalm 100 verse 1, we come to this simple thing that God is good. But even in our own lives, we, we push past the skeptics. There are moments in our lives where we don't, in our own selves, feel like God is good because of the circumstances and situations. Now, I wrote this down because I wanted us to be able to see it just the way it was written. But I read a quote in one of the books I read, and it's called All. But this is what I want us to see. about. He talks about when we don't feel like when God is good. Listen to me real quickly. It says, you see, what looks good from God's perfect eternity to destiny perspective doesn't always seem good to us at ground level. So what looks to us, I mean, what look, God sees as good from our vantage point, doesn't always look good. He goes on to say this. It is hard to accept that God knows better than we do. It is hard to admit that God can use difficulties for good in our lives. If I am at the center, I will define good as what is comfortable, predictable, pleasurable, natural, and easy. The good life will be the easy life because all of self will have replaced all of God as the principal motivator of my life. So when difficulty comes my way, my default theological response will be to wonder why God is doing what he is doing and to question his goodness. If you allow yourself to question God's goodness, you will quit following his commands. And you will quit running to him for help because you will no longer rely on, follow, or seek the help of someone you no longer trust. But God is good. And as we look at it, one of the things that scopes this whole thing in Psalm chapter 100, verse number 1, 2, and 3, and 4 is the basis that God is good. David in the Psalms advises us just like he says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. I want you to experience it. So if we come and you're like, you know what? I'm new to church. I'm not even like, yes, it sounds like a default. God is good. I want you to know that you have been invited to taste and see God's goodness. So we go to, once again, one of the basic things, but God is good. But we keep going. He goes on in uh, Psalm 100, verse number five. And he says, for the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting. So as we go through this, we see that not only is God good, but he is merciful, and his mercy has no end. You remember the story, um, if you remember in the Old Testament, Elijah is coming through, and uh, he is just told uh, Ahab that it is not going to rain. So it's not going to rain for three years, and then so then Elijah runs and hides, and God provides food for Elijah by the ravens, if you remember correctly. And as he comes, God stops the food from a raven and he says, hey, I'm going to send you to a widow who's going to take care of your needs. And in that story, we come down, and sometimes we think this is a great thing for Elijah because Elijah the prophet is running out of food. And so as he comes, the Bible says we find this widow like, who is gathering sticks to make her last meal with her son. 
And as she's making her last meal with the son, all of a sudden, and then I would imagine being a pastor, everybody's always saying that you're asking for stuff anyway. So this is like has to be on top of everything. Like you're have, you know you're going to have to walk up to a lady and ask her for her last meal for her and her son before they die. And so Elijah comes up and, he, and this lady is gathering sticks for her last meal. And Elijah says, I want you to make me a cake first. And as this lady... Uh, looks at Elijah, and I can only imagine the eyes and the look that she gives him as she's like, sir, I'm gathering these last two, t- two sticks, and we're going to go bake what I have, and then pretty much we're going to die. That's what's on our calendar. That's our plans for life. We're going to make these two things, and we're going to die. And Elijah tells, this, Elijah tells this lady, he says, hey, make me a cake first. <laughs> Those had to be the hardest words to ever come out of a pastor's mouth. Like, we're going to make these and die. <clears throat> well, you make me one first, <laughs> and then you'll see what happens. And as she does, she goes back, and the Bible says that as she makes the cake for Elijah, and she gives it to Elijah, and then she begins to go back and make her son one, that God's mercy then becomes everlasting. Every time she needs it for her and her son from there on out, she's able to come, <laughs> grab two more sticks, <laughs> wow, we still have food. Wow, we still have food. And it's not just mercy in that God provided for her forever, but then we take a step back and rewind the story. God doesn't need the widow. He doesn't need the widow at all. He's been feeding Elijah for a long time without any of her help. But in his mercy, he looks at a lady who's about to give up everything, and he says, hey, you give the man of God something? I'm going to show you what my mercies look like. And as we start looking at this, we know God is good. He does everything right. God is good. But he's also merciful. And he looks at all of us. And his mercy is everlasting. All through the Bible, we can go through the Old Testament over and over and over and over again. We can go through the New Testament and see God's mercy shown in lives of individuals. We can look at our own lives right now for us sitting in this auditorium, trying to look spiritual, looking like we do on Sunday mornings. And we can all trace God's mercies through our lives. We see that God is merciful and his mercy is everlasting. There's no time where Aaron Burden goes to God and God says, Aaron, I'm done. <laughs> like, bloop, bloop, bloop. Mercy has run out. He says, no, my mercy is everlasting. But then he goes to the last part of verse number five that sets the stage for everything in the chapter before. And he says, his truth endures to all generations. See, we have... Uh, we have a society that doesn't believe God is good, okay? That the first thing is like, if God is good, then why do all these things happen? We have a society that doesn't believe there's a God who's merciful. Well, if God is merciful, why did he send a person to hell? Well, the question would be really, if since God is merciful, why would a person choose to go to hell? past his mercies. But then we come to the last thing that our culture struggles with, that God's truth endures for every generation. And so now we have a culture that would say, hey, there is no such thing as absolute truth, except for as long as you don't bother anything me or anything I'm doing, because that is truth, (laughs) whatever you're bothering me about right now. And we have this truth, that God's truth endures through all generations. Now, on paper, like, it, it's like, oh yeah, I know God's truth endures for all generations. But really, 
When you think about how this shapes every part of our life. Okay, so literally, every teenager in here, because of God's truth that endures a generation, okay? So we've got one side that says, oh, man, I don't understand how young people are going to make it these days. They got these cell phones. They got that Snapchat. They got the Instagram. They got all the, I, mean, I don't even know what's going to happen. You know what? That truth tells me right there that God has it under control. His truth is going to every generation. Well, I'm telling you, when we start looking at all these technological advances, once the robots start taking over and they all, God's truth endures for all generation. Well, now that I'm getting up in age, I don't understand all the things that are going on in this world. God's truth endures to all generation. And so when we start looking at these three things, we hinge everything that our culture around looks at. It's like, hey, well, I don't know if God is good. Trust me. Verse five, God is good. I don't know if God is merciful. I don't know. No, trust me. God is merciful. Hey, I'm not sure that the Bible applies to everything that I live and need today. And God said in verse number five, my truth endures for every generation. So what worked for Joseph with Potiphar's wife works for every teenager in this building. What works for Abraham and all of us trying to figure out what the next step in life is, it works for us to do. So as we start looking at these things in, verse, in Psalm 100, we see that all of a sudden, like, hey, God is good. His mercy is everlasting. His truth endures to every generation. Because of that... We go to verse 1. Let's go. Back to verse 1. Because all these things are true, he says, Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. See, when I understand that God is good, he is merciful, his truth is everlasting, I have nothing I need to worry about because everything I need is found in God, then all of a sudden I can make a joyful noise. Can I ask you this? This, this uh, make a joyful noise has the idea of like before uh, a war or battle, they're making this noise like a victory or when a king would walk out and you sometimes see it. Um, well, because I'm immature and I watch cartoons. Sometimes you watch, see it on cartoons, like the king will come out and everybody's down there cheering or uh, a monkey is holding up a baby lion and they'll start cheering and all those things. But as these things are happening, like all of a sudden, like they make a joyful noise. And everyone's excited. And as everyone gets excited, this is what this pastor is saying. So let me ask you this. When was the last time you made a joyful noise about because God was good, because he was merciful, and because his truth endures to all generations? Because what I believe affects how I behave. So if I truly believe that, then I'd say, every now and then, well, I'm not, I'm not that loud and boisterous, Pastor Burden. Then, hey, make a joyful grunt. <clears throat> God is good. <laughs> and just go with it. But the Bible says I can make a joyful noise because God is good, because he is merciful, and because his truth endures to every single generation. He says I can serve the Lord with gladness. Man, I will tell you, one of the things I struggle with is... Uh, I would say probably, and maybe you do this struggle as an employee, but sometimes I can focus all my intentions, I mean attention, on trying to please those above me more than I serve the Lord. So sometimes I can spend a lot of my time 
trying so hard to whether, whether and we're all church members, most of us, you know my boss. And so, so I can spend a lot of time trying to please my boss. I can spend a lot of my time trying to please a parent in the youth group that I think, man, if I just do this one thing, they'll finally think I'm a grown man that I can take care of their children. I'm going to try all these things, and I can spend so much time. And I was talking to Amanda about this um, two weeks ago, or three weeks, I was on vacation two weeks ago, three or four weeks ago. And I was saying, I have to constantly remind, remind myself that I serve the Lord. And when I serve the Lord, it is always so much sweeter than when I'm trying to do it for everybody else. I can serve the Lord with gladness because God's good. He's merciful. His truth endures to every generation. So I can serve the Lord with gladness. I can go through this church and do the things that God has called me to do as a vocational pastor at this church with joy. Because I can serve the Lord with gladness because he's good, he's merciful, and his truth endures to all generations. I can even come before his presence with singing. And this is where I know that some of us are like, well, I don't sing, I can't sing. But see, when you believe that God is good, he's merciful, and his truth endures to all generation. Every now and then you can try to bust out a tune. Because what you believe affects how you behave. Can I say this nicely? But the world, they sing to a lot of weird stuff. I'm not going to lie. We were just on a cruise. Man, all I had to do was drop a plate and somebody was dancing. Like, it's like, what in the world? Guys, calm down. And it's like you come to church and like, whew, man. Are we live? Is everybody singing? You're reading the same words that I'm reading? Because if the truth is that God is good, his mercy is in everlasting, his truth endures to all generation, I can sing. Now, I wasn't going to say this, but I'm going to say it anyway. It's always a bad sign. But can I just say this? And I say this because I believe he's my friend, Pastor Toman. If Pastor Toman can get in front of this church and lead us to sing... There's not a reason why any of us in this room has no reason to sing. Can I be, be honest? See, because God is good, because his mercy is everlasting, because his truth endures in all generations, I can sing to my heavenly father. I can turn off the garbage of the world. And I'm not even trying to get into, well, you should listen to this guy. No, I'm not even getting there. You do what you You and the Holy Spirit work that out. But I'm just saying, if those things are true, I can sing. I can sing all the time. Why does it become all of a sudden the Christians or the people people look over in the car and be like, I don't know what they're doing in there, but they're having a time of it. Because God is good. His mercy is everlasting. His truth endures to every generation. See, all of a sudden it begins to frame everything. And then we go to verse number three. He goes on and he says, Know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he that has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. When I understand... All three of these truths from verse 5, all of a sudden, it gives me, I guess we could say, if we're, if we're looking for points, because I think that's what Pat is supposed to do, but I really don't have, but where it changes the passion at which I operate. But if I understand these truths, it changes the position how I come. Because all of a sudden, if God is good, he's merciful, and his truth endures all generation, I stop and I know Knowing that the Lord, he is God. It is he that hath made us and not we ourselves. 
See, we joke about this in youth group a lot, but we have a lot of things in our culture like follow our heart, follow your heart, do what seems good to you. And it's like, if there's any more lies that we can be told, and any bigger lie than we can be told, because when Psalms 100 says, Know ye the Lord, it is, he is God, it is he that has made us and not we ourselves, I can say, since I don't own the owner's manual to Aaron Burden, I probably shouldn't be trying to make the decisions for Aaron Burden. I can probably look to God for those. Because it is he that has made me and not me myself. But you don't understand, this feels so good. Know ye the Lord, he is God. I need to run to his word. We are his people. I guess the gospel would say it like this. We are not our own. We are bought with the price. Therefore, glorify God in our body and our spirit because they are God's. See, all of a sudden it starts to change the way they behave. Because my position is not here. My position is here. God is here. And I know, God, right now, whether it's in a situation of good, God, I know you're good because your word says, and I'm taking it at face value. God, you're good. So whatever situation right now, I would love to be here, God, and I would love to call the shots. I would love to say, God, this is how it should be, but that's not me. I know that I am yours. Whether it's in a merciful situation. God, if I was here, I don't know how you'd love me. I don't know how you put up with me. But I thank you so much that you're merciful. And it's you that's made me, not me myself. I'm your people. So, God, I'm accepting your mercy, even though I don't understand it. God, your truth puts you here. And so that means anything that I'm feeling, anything that I desire, comes second to that because I am your people. See, all of a sudden it starts to change every aspect that I live through the things that God is good, his mercy is everlasting, his truth endures to all generations. And it changes me. It changes my position. See, in our culture, we do have a struggle with position because um, we've been, um, when me and my wife were on the cruise ship, uh, we were on vacation a little while ago, we went to see a couple uh, clean comedy shows, and they were clean. Uh, they weren't funny, but they were clean. And so as we went through, <laughs> as we walked through, but I noticed, I thought it was funny how um, a lot of the times a comedian, like an easy thing for a comedian is to talk about kids and how kids act. Like it's like almost like every comedian, like, did you see the kid at Walmart? And everybody's, ah, because we already know what's coming. We know the role of a child from the Bible, Okay. <laughs> Parents, child. Now, on paper, we see this. In behavior, we see this. Child is here, and parent does everything the child ever wants and ever needs. And sometimes I believe we get like this with God. Like, all of a sudden, it's like God's job. If God is like the virtual, I mean, not virtual, but God is like the heavenly soccer mom that does everything that I need to do so that I can make it to everything I need to do and pulls out his wallet every time I need. No, no, you're not the Lord. He is God. It is he that has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people. And all of a sudden it starts changing the way that I think through. He goes on and he says, we're the sheep of his pasture. In the book of John, when Jesus talks about I'm the good shepherd, he points this like, gives us this beautiful illustration about how he cares for his sheep. And he talks about a sheepfold. And he says, there's one door in this sheepfold. And I'm that door. No one goes in and out except through me. I take care of my sheep. My sheep know my voice, and they follow me. And then David would not totally understand this as a shepherd. And he's like, God is our shepherd. 
And so knowing that God is good, his mercy is everlasting, his truth endureth to all generation. I don't know the last time, I don't know a lot about sheep, but I don't think there's too many sheep like, hey, shepherd, I know you're trying your best here, but this grass ain't green enough. We need to move on. I guess that would be a cow. Never mind. <laughs> but it's, it's a youth pastor joke. No, I'm just but, it's, but it's time for us to go on down the road. No, most of the time the sheep have their, and the shepherd says, hey, it's time for us to move. But in my scope of belief, I can often believe that, God, this isn't working the way I want. God, this isn't happening the way I want it to happen. God, I know you're the shepherd, but, and I guess as Jeremiah would say, he is the potter and I'm the clay. And I've been to a couple of those little kiln things with my kids, or my, uh, and I've not yet seen the clay that jumped back up and said, it's hot in the kiln, I'm coming out, and just starts walking away. It stays because that's what the potter wants to do. And so as we start looking through, all of a sudden these three truths, they underpin everything that we live. So then we keep going. He says this, in verse number four, enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. So now, shaping the way these things happen, what happens is it not only changes the passion that I have in my life. I can sing because God is good, his mercy is everlasting, his truth endures forever. It changes my position. I'm not here. I am here. Because of these truths. But it also happens the way that I come to God. And I guess if we want to alliterate it, we say it changes the way I pray. He says, I come before him with thanksgiving. Enter into his courts with thanksgiving. And then, I'm sorry, enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. When I believe these three truths, there are going to be times where I have things going on in my life that I just have to run to my Savior. And in the words of Peter, the short prayer, Lord, save me. Lord, help me. But in my daily prayer, is this how I come before God's presence with thanksgiving? God, you have been so gracious to me. The roof over my head, the heat in my house because I live in Michigan, all of the wonderful things that you've given me, God, thank you for it. Or do I come into his presence with requests? Lord, I have a couple of five, six pages. I don't have a lot of time to pray today. But I'm going to lay him here on this counter and I'm going to ask you to bless all these things. And you just work on that while I go about my day. See, when I understand that God is good, he's merciful, his truth endureth all generation. When I come before his throne, what else can I do but thank him? Lord, thank you that you're so merciful. Oh, merciful. God, thank you that you're so good. God, thank you that your truth endures every generation. God, thank you. Because, God, thank you for being good. Because as I look at my life, I do not deserve what you've given us. I will tell you, I'm learning. But when I, we first got into ministry, and me and my wife talked often, um, like we wanted our kids to know, to be proud, to be able to be a pastor's kid. And we thought, I thought, man, I want to teach my kids, like, hey, the reason we're doing this is because you're pastor's kids. God's blessed us for being able to be in the ministry. But you know what I've learned? And what I want to teach my kids now, 
You have this because of God's wonderful grace. It has nothing to do with what your dad does. It has nothing to do with who your dad is. It's God's wonderful grace. Man, sometimes I'm not lying. Like, we go around our house, and uh, I was telling my wife, the other, this was a little while ago, back when I was cutting my grass. I haven't cut that in a little while. But as I was cutting my grass, like, the lawnmower I sat on, it was given to me. It's a really nice lawnmower. I used to have to push my yard. It took me like three hours to push my yard. Now I can cut my yard in about 30 minutes with this awesome lawnmower. And I thought, man, that's awesome. As I drive into the garage and open the car where the car sits that someone gave to us. That it's like, man, God, you are so good. And then let me go pull out something else to go fix that lawnmower that somebody else that God provided. Someone else is just like, man, I can't but look around my house and say, God, you've been too good. If I had to lose it all tomorrow, I could honestly, I mean, I, could, I don't know if I could say it, but I'd have to be able to say like Job, the Lord gave. The Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And so knowing that God is good, how can I ever come into his presence with just requests? If God is merciful, I'm not about to stand up here and tell you Aaron Bird's list of sins. But I can just say, that if God allows me to stand where I'm standing now, knowing who Aaron Burden is, to open his word, all I can say is God is merciful. That for us to come to this auditorium and sit and be able to open God's word, while there are Christians in other countries who don't enjoy this, God is merciful. How can I come with just requests? Because God's truth endures forever, I can be a youth pastor. I don't say this to be funny, but literally, we can handle whatever technology comes because God's truth endures every generation. I don't have to stand in front of a group of teenagers and shake and like, what in the world is going to happen when this, when this changes or what's going to happen when this comes out? Or what? Nope, God's truth still keeps going. And, for, and of course, in Psalm chapter 12, God says this, the words of the Lord are pure words. The silver tried in the furnace of earth, purified seven times. Thou will keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. There's not a Wednesday night that'll come where I can hold up this book and walk into a youth group and think, well, I don't know what's going to happen. There's not a day in my life where I'll have to worry about what it is to be a parent and not know what to do and have no place to go for answers. Because God's truth endures every generation. So how can I just come with requests? So when we come to verse number five in this whole thing here, it restructures the way we think. It restructures everything. Because in the beginning, if we just walk into verse number one, it's like, make a joyful noise in the Lord, all you lands, serve the Lord with gladness, come before his presence with singing, woohoo, everything's awesome. How in the world do we get there? We get there by believing the truth, by letting the truth permeate every ounce of our being. God is good. But it doesn't look like it right now. Okay. Like Sam's, taste and see. The Lord is good. Merciful. I'm looking at it and I say, you know what? I don't deserve. I am not. But God is merciful. So I can sing. Can't carry a tune in a bucket. Well, hey, throw the bucket away and just start singing. Because God's truth endures to every generation, I don't have to be afraid about tomorrow. I don't have to worry that something's going to come up, something's going to happen. 
And so when all those things are deep in our hearts, how can we not sing? How can we not pray? How can we not be thankful? I guess even more so, be content. Because often, and my life's here too, so I'm not preaching to anybody, I'm preaching to myself. It's very easy for us to believe the devil's lie that God is not good. It's really, really easy for me to believe the uh, fleshes, the flesh, and say, I know God is merciful, but it really doesn't feel like it because I wouldn't forgive me. And it's really easy for me to let the, the world distract me by saying, hey, there is no truth. But when I grab Psalm 100, simple passage, I think both my kids can quote it. So much is there that just restructures the whole way I think. So as we go to work this week, as we think about Thanksgiving, we dwell on the attributes of God. He's good. He's merciful. His truth endures forever. We look at those things. We should be able to smile. I close with this. I don't know if this is the way it happened, but as I studied this passage, it reminded me of Acts 16 in the Philippian jailer. Because when I started reading through Psalm 100, I don't think, I don't know, it's not like I have a copy of some uh, apocryphal book that tells me what uh, Paul and Silas did in Acts 16. But I think this so fits. Because if you know what happens in um, Acts 16, Paul and Silas are preaching. A woman comes behind Paul and Silas, and she's like, hey, these men are telling the truth, here are these men, these men are telling the truth, here are these men, and she's just yelling it behind them, and Paul gets a little... Uh, done with her yelling behind him. And like, even though she's agreeing with him, maybe in a sarcastic way or whatever, even though she's agreeing with him, it would be pretty distracting if I was preaching this morning and someone just started standing up and saying, Pastor Burton is the man, hear him. Pastor Burton is the man. It's like, okay, you know, you see, please sit down and be quiet so I can actually preach. Like it could get a little distracting. And so Paul turns to her and casts the demons that were in this lady out. And as he casts the demons out of her, she had been a fortune teller. And she can no longer tell fortunes because the demons are gone. And her masters want nothing to do with her. They're upset with Paul and Silas. They have them beaten, thrown in jail. And as Paul and Silas are sitting in jail, the Bible tells us that as they're sitting in jail, it's been beaten badly. And we're not talking about like jail with like cots and beds and like cable television. We're talking jail. And as they're sitting on the floor, the Bible says they spend their night praying, and singing. It's a little uncomfortable, Silas. Yeah, yeah, Paul, it is. This is bad. But you know what I think we can do tonight? I think we can pray. We can sing. Hmm. Make a joyful noise. Serve the Lord with gladness. It's okay. We're preaching the gospel. It's great. God is good. He's so merciful. Man, Silas, eh. Even me sitting in this prison right now is God's mercy. Do you know what I did to Christians before? I don't even understand how God is even forgiving me. <laughs> Let's pray and sing. God's truth endures to every generation. As soon as, the, as they begin to sing and they begin to pray, the Bible says that the, the doors in the prison shook and the doors were opened. And Paul and Silas, who had been beaten and were singing and praising because the truth that they know deep down in their heart has affected every way they live, They come out, 
And a jailer who's probably been sitting there listening says, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Because when the truth of God, whether as simple as it can be, enters our hearts, what we actually believe will affect our behavior. And so I want to leave us with this. God is good. He's merciful. His truth is everlasting. And with that, I should be able to sing, to smile, to be excited, to come before my Heavenly Father with singing to bless his name because he's so good. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to sing. And so as we do, I want to end this service. I asked Pastor Toman if we could sing my mom's favorite song, How Great Thou Art. And so we'll sing a couple of verses on How Great Thou Art. And as, as we look at the truth, there is no reason why we can't sing. Whether we can't sing in a bucket, it's okay. It's okay. It's just us here. Just us and all friends. So we'll sing, and then I'll close our service in prayer, and we'll be dismissed. Hymn number 28. Let's stand and sing this together. Hymn number 28. O Lord my God, when I in awesome wonder Consider all the worlds thy hands have made I see the stars, I hear the rolling thunder Thy power throughout the universe displayed. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to Thee. How great Thou art, how great Thou art. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to Thee. How great Thou art, how great Thou art. And when I think, and when I think, that God His Son not sparing, sent Him to die, I scarce can take it in, that on the cross, my burden gladly bearing, He bled and died, to take away my sin. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to Thee, how great Thou art, how great Thou art. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to Thee, how great Thou art, how great Thou art. When Christ shall come, when Christ shall come, with shout of acclamation, and take me home, what joy shall fill my heart. Then I shall bow in humble adoration, and there proclaim, my God, how great Thou art. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to Thee. How great Thou art, how great Thou art. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to Thee. How great Thou art.